Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter. And use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Surviving Narcissism Podcast. This is Michelle, the Program Director, and I would like to start this episode with a short introduction. For those of you new to this podcast, Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. This week, Dr. C's topic will be Adam, Eve, the Serpent, and Narcissism. Hello, Team Healthy. I'm so pleased to be with you once again. We're going to jump right in, and I want to go into storytelling mode today, okay? And uh, I'm going to pull back for just a moment and remind you that so many times as we're trying to come to terms with what it means to be human, we like to talk with each other via stories. And sometimes the story is based on real life people. Sometimes the story is based on fictional uh, uh, imagery. For example, I mean, for example, think of Aesop's fables or the Good Samaritan story. Today, I want to zero in on one of the most influential stories ever told. And when I say one of the most influential, it is this this particular story and the many elements that go with it has so permeated much of the thinking that's in Western civilization that we just simply can't ignore it. And it's the Garden of Eden story. Now, this is something that's obviously a part of the uh, the Christian tradition. It's part of Judaism. It's certainly told in the uh, the story of Islam. And then there are related or parallel stories of a similar nature in with indigenous people or with Hinduism and Buddhism. In other words, as we try to look at the origins of good versus evil, we all have these various stories that we like to tell. And, and I think it would be interesting for us to see what this particular story of the Garden of Eden uh, says about you know, someone's interpretations of humanity. And, and just please know, I'm not here to try to proselytize anyone or, or uh, persuade you over to a, to a particular religious uh, orientation. I just simply want to say, let's take a look at this story since it's such an enormous part of our uh, historical understanding of humanity. So here we have this story of the Garden of Eden. And most of you know that the Garden of Eden is first described as a, a place of paradise. There's an absence of suffering. And Eden represents uh, the ideal form that humanity could live into. It's, uh, it uh, represents the presence of openness and trust and innocence. If you ever think of why Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed, that, that symbolically that implies 
they, they just had nothing to hide. They were just completely transparent to one another in that kind of form. The story also implies that as, as we have this Eden uh, as part of the creation, it, it implies that life arises from the will or the intent of the creator. And in that very thought right there, the, uh, the story tells us that there's a transcendence that's part of life. In other words, there's something bigger going on here than what meets the eye. And of course, they're, they're, as I look at humanity, it's, it's, it's so fascinating to me uh, to just ponder the questions, where did the concept of love or kindness or regard or fidelity or, or goodness come from? And that's part of that transcendence that, we're coming, that, we're come, uh, that uh, I'm referring to. When we're in the Garden of Eden, the implication is that life's meaning is found through connection. The, uh, the story begins with humanity being connected to God, to the creator, and then to fellow humans, to the animals, to all of nature. And so the implication is that's what we were intended for. And then in addition, humanity is grounded in concepts like freedom. Uh, you have the freedom to choose, the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, we're intended for peace. We're intended to, to have communion with all that is in front of us. So we have this idyllic beginning, this idyllic setting that uh, uh, where Adam and Eve show up. And the story goes on to say that as life progresses, problems occur. There are cracks in the foundation. Eden is there, but humanity is not able to completely live perfectly into what Eden has to offer. And so here we, we go into the question, how did we get into the mess that we're in and what is, what is it that has gone afoul with humanity? So we have our two protagonists. We have Adam and Eve, and then we have the antagonist. We have the serpent. And the uh, just right there, uh, as we just anticipate what's about to happen in the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent, we can recognize that in this story, one of the themes that, uh, that's there says that life is good, but it's not secure. We have vulnerabilities. There are elements on the inside of us. There's a knowledge. There's a yearning inside of us to have the good things. But then there are aspects of life that can bring us down. What might those aspects be? Now, as we look at the interaction between Adam and Eve and the serpent, there are five different elements that I want us to examine that show up. And, and by the way, as I make reference to this, I'm going to eventually uh, come back around and show you what uh, the social psychologist Eric Fromm came up with. He's a, uh, he was a secular Jew, and he followed Freud, and he, um, uh, he had uh, lots of things to, to draw upon from this story as it relates to humanity. So uh, hang tight, I'm going to bring it back into the field of psychology uh, through uh, Eric, Freud, um, Eric Fromm's teachings. But there are five different elements that we want to examine. First, we have Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, and the serpent uh, approaches Eve, thinking, I, I assume anyway, that she's the more vulnerable of the two. They had, uh, they had been told that they could eat from any of the trees of the garden with the exception of the knowledge of good and evil. 
there's a symbolism there. The, the implication is that there's a, an ultimate correctness that they don't need to mess with. They just need to, uh, to go along with it. But the serpent says, well, why don't you eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil? I mean, look at it. If you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll possess ultimate wisdom. And the temptation becomes very strong. And the story goes along to say that Eve ate of the fruit and then gave to Adam and he ate of the fruit. And we, we ask the question, so what does that mean? What does that one portion of the story tell us? In that portion, what we see is that humanity has decided to override the ideal way of life as determined by the creator. The harmony, the peace, the, the, uh, the, the healthy interaction that's there. And instead, uh, humanity decided, I want to make me the ultimate arbitrator of right and wrong. I want to make myself the ultimate authority. Now, right there, if you know anything about narcissism, do you understand where we're going here? Uh, the first emotional um, repercussion that came inside the story is the emotion of pride, or we might use the term egotism. Adam and Eve in this story become very self-impressed. They become entitled, and it's like, well, I want to call the shots. And when there comes a point where we have to determine what's correct and incorrect, let's do it my way. And this can lead to all sorts of, uh, of you know, behavioral and communicational difficulties. It's the beginning point of them becoming critical or irritable or impatient or bossy or stubborn. That's what this story is telling us. Uh, I want to be the one who gets to call the shots. I want to be the one who's in charge. It's all about me. And then you can see that that becomes the very beginning point for an understanding of narcissism. Okay, so we have that part where they're eating of the tree in this story. What's the second part of the story that we have? Well, in the second part, what we have is Adam and Eve hiding over there in the bushes. <laughs> so they decide, well, I want to be the one that calls the shots. It, it is, frankly, all about me. But then once they started going into that space, realizing, I don't think this is working out very well. I'm not real sure that this is going to be the way to go. And certainly the one who created me is not going to be very pleased. They go into cover-up mode. Now, if we were to, to take this and apply it to the, the, the subject of narcissism in the field of psychology, we would say that this represents the construction of the false self. Adam and Eve hide themselves. I was afraid, so I hid myself. And so they go into a defensive mode. They go into blame-shifting mode. Each one of them has someone to blame. They go into justifying but you'll notice that the fear is the second primary emotion then that uh, that enters into the uh, the psyche of the man and the woman. Uh, and when we talk about narcissists, one of the things you'll hear people like me say is they're very fear-based. They're, they're afraid. They're threatened by differentness. They're threatened by people coming down on them or being rejected or being deemed to be inadequate. And so how many people do you know who operate with this defensiveness and the blame shifting and, and the cover up. 
lying, keeping secrets, things like that. That's part of the human condition, and that's part of what's captured in this particular story. Now, there's a third element, and this is one that you have to, uh, to, to watch closely for because there's a nuanced part of this, and it's, it's more of a small part of the story, but it has a big imp implication. Um, before Adam and Eve were over there hiding in the bushes, the story tells of the creator of God uh, calling out and asking the question, where are you? And so you have uh, the the uh, the eating of the tree. Uh, the uh, the pride comes in into play. You have the fear. They're in the bushes, and then God is coming along, saying, "Well, where'd you go?" Okay, let's pause right there. What's that element represent? Well, in that uh, portion of the story, what we have is broken connections. The, the, uh, the story of the idyllic, uh, uh, the paradise way of life for Adam and Eve implied that there was full connection between uh, humanity, uh, between one human and the other. There's full connection between our creator. There's full connection with nature, with the animals and all living things. Now that's been broken. The connection is not what it needs to be. There's a lack of attachment that we have with each other. And the emotional aspect that that represents is loneliness. I want you to think, does anybody have such a perfect and full connection that they have that feeling of uh, camaraderie, camaraderie at all times and in all places? And of course, the answer is no. We have a diminished capacity for intimacy with one another. Sometimes we feel confused about the other person's motives. We are approaching uh, other individuals and we try to pour our hearts out. And then sometimes we can still walk away thinking, was I able to get through there? <laughs> where are you? you know, where do we stand with each other? And there can be that gap. Uh, and it's a permanent gap between ourselves and anyone else that might be in our presence. Now, the fourth aspect of this story takes us to a conversation that God has with Adam and Eve and basically, he explains the repercussions of all the decisions that have gone so far. And of course, you know that it doesn't go well for Adam and Eve. They've made themselves to be egotistical and prideful. They live in fear with the defensiveness and the blame shifting. They have a loneliness and a brokenness in all relationships. And so then God basically says, well, you used to have a higher order of living but now it's not going to be that way. You're going to have a much lower order of living. And by the way, this, this fourth aspect uh, takes us to the topic of inferiority. In this story, God pronounces shame upon Adam and Eve and guilt. And they have a, a, a feeling of unworthiness. The struggle is now going to be a part of their life. And God explains to Adam, you're going to have this, uh, you know, working among uh, thorns and thistles. And to Eve, you're going to be struggling through uh, your femininity. And, 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 and there's a really interesting uh, little phrase that's, uh, that's spoken there. It says that your eyes shall be, um, uh, that your desire shall be for your husband. And it doesn't mean that you're going to yearn for him in a loving way. It means you're going to yearn for his position because he's going to have an authority over you. And so this story shows us the beginning of a patriarchal system of living. Uh, that's foreshadowed in all of this. And so when we look at the story here, then it, it talks about how uh, individuals who are uh, inclined in this direction as, as represented by Adam and Eve, 
do indeed struggle with shame and guilt. And as we think about the whole topic of narcissism, of course, that's uh, integral to our understanding of what that is. And then it goes one for, a step further. There's a whole other scene that, uh, that happens that, uh, that pick up with Adam and Eve's, Eve's children, Cain and Abel. Inside the family, anger begins to build. Uh, so much so that, that Cain feels like he does not have the favor with God that he wants. Abel does. And so Cain in his jealousy and envy uh, rises up and kills the favored son, Abel. And so anger is a part of the family system. And of course, anger can be shown in so many different ways, whether it's in open aggressiveness or contempt and things like that. And so that becomes the fifth element. I'd like for you to be aware of my video courses. One is entitled Ready, Set, Connect. Now, narcissists are quite capable of throwing you off balance, so this course keeps you focused on the skills and the mindset that are necessary for positive connections. And inside the course, uh, we have various modules that and in, inside each module are lessons and each lesson contains a video, uh, written documents, and then questions that go along with it. We'll discuss things like how to have good conflict resolution skills, building empathy, how to be the authentic self that you need to be. If you're interested in enrolling, you can go to our uh, website, survivingnarcissism.tv, click the link for courses. You'll find Ready, Set, Connect there as well as the others. I hope that you would find them to be quite helpful. And now, back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. You have this story now that has... Uh, uh, that has humanity living inside this idyllic um, uh, little piece of, uh, of the earth, all this wonderful connection and peace and harmony and freedom, but then into the story as represented by the serpent presenting this to Adam and Eve, uh, we're introduced to themes of pride and egotism. We're introduced to the theme of fear and defensiveness and the false self. We're introduced to the theme of brokenness in our relationships, our loneliness, uh, which actually is a part of the lack of empathy. We're introduced to the theme of inferiority and shame and, and guilt. And then we're introduced to the theme of anger. And, and so when I talk about this being one of the most seminal stories that's there, and like I say, there are other stories and other traditions that run parallel with this. It's rather fascinating to take a look at all that it, it, uh, that it implies and all that it teaches. Now, I want us to go to some of the teachings of Eric Fromm. I mentioned that he was a, a secular Jewish person. He was born in 1900, and um, he uh, lived in Germany, and he left in the 1930s because you know why and came over to the United States and eventually became a professor at Columbia University. He was a very prominent social psychologist, and he talked about how we can uh, have an understanding of humans by taking a look at how we engage with the, the society around. He actually uh, moved around and did some teaching in Mexico and other places, but he's the one that, uh, that coined the term malignant narcissist. And, and he has much to say, and he keeps going back in, in multiples of his writings to this Garden of Eden story. And so I want to see if we can kind of pick up on some of his reflections about what this story tells us and how it relates to where we are now and how we can, it can challenge us to, to individualize the story and ask, well, what might this tell me about my sense of humanity? Now, the takeaway is 
that the, the Garden of Eden story tells us that there is an ideal out there. Uh, there's an ideal that we yearn for. We know that there's something that's quite good and quite gratifying. And so it's something that we seek out. Another of the takeaways is that each individual in that pursuit of the ideal is broken. Each individual has that desire, but they can carry around on the inside of them the pride, the fear, the loneliness, the inferiority, and the anger to the extent that those emotions, if left unresolved, uh, can uh, can keep them from uh, from ever getting anywhere close to that. And then, by the way, uh, we haven't even gotten into other things about how uh, family dynamics can play into all of this. And then the uh, another takeaway is that every person has what we refer to as a dual nature. And you may have heard me in my YouTube videos talk about how we have a duality. We're both capable. We're capable of both good and evil. And it's we have that tug of war on the inside. And so, which direction are we going to go? And I, I do believe that in this duality, we have the capacity to recognize what I just mentioned about the implication for our emotions. Healthy individuals see what their potential is in either direction. And when they take a look at their propensity towards the pride and the fear and the inferior, loneliness, inferiority, and anger, they, they acknowledge their inclinations, they do something about it, they're constructive, and they move on. And so the narcissism that this represents is contained and it's kept at bay. Unhealthy people allow that dark side to, to run with them. They have the pride, the fear, the loneliness, the inferiority, and the anger, and not only do they not do anything to uh, to dissuade it, they actually feed into it and keep it perpetuated. And so as we go uh, further into Eric Fromm's reflections, uh, one of the things that he mentions is that um, he, he says that by breaking ties with the creator and the created, humans are destined to struggle to determine who is going to be friend or foe. And there are times when uh, human beings can feel alienated among many individuals. And so that's part of the theme of the story that we have. Eric Fromm also talks about how uh, while we struggle to rule over our individual lives, the ideal still does remain. And so in the field of psychology, we have this term, we call it self-actualization. Self-actualization consists of recouping the ideal standards of peace and connection and equality. And so these are themes that he picks up on. If we're going to have that sense of healthiness, we can draw upon the story that shows uh, what our uh, proclivities are, and then we can move uh, back towards that Eden kind of experience. We'll never have perfection, but we can at least move in the direction that that represents. And then another interesting angle that Eric Fromm comes up with, he says, the more we try to become like God, which is what this whole thing was that the uh, the serpent was uh, tempting Adam and Eve with, then that's that's when we lose the ability to become like God. Uh, when we try, when we quit trying to play like God, that's when we're going to be able to reach that uh, that healthy ideal. In other words, I'm not God. I'm not the one who calls the shots. We go back to that word transcendence. There's something bigger going on here with me. Call it love. Let's call it goodness. Let's call it decency. 
uh, let's call it um, uh, uh, kindness and peace. Uh, there's all of that. But if I try to make myself to be the one that says, well, we're going to do everything my way, then I lose it. And so that being the case, we can see that humility then is part of the equation in, uh, in finding our sense of peace and dropping that, uh, that egotism that the story represents. And then uh, another of, of a huge theme that Eric Fromm picks up on is he talks about how healing actually comes through freedom. Remember, uh, before the, uh, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, the, the, the instruction given to Adam and Eve was, from the trees, fruit of the trees of the garden you may eat freely, just not that one. So in other words, there's still a freedom that we want to have. And, and again, this is one of those seminal truths that comes from a story such as this. And so uh, healing comes through finding our sense of freedom freedom toward the good things in life. And uh, when freedom is coupled with a sense of modesty, when freedom is coupled with a reminder of our place within the community, and when I say the community, other individuals with nature, with, uh, with uh, animals, and all that goes around the, the, the world around us, then uh, we're able to find um, a, a much better way of life. And then the ultimate uh, takeaway that, uh, that Dr. Fromm comes up with is every individual gets to decide where his or her story will lead, meaning we each have the human responsibility to take ourselves into that kind of space. So I go back and I, I just look at that and I realize this is a seminal story that's been around literally for millenniums. And like I say, it, it's been duplicated in many other cultures. And the story is there to make us think. Okay, well, that's a very interesting way to try to summarize succinctly what human nature is about. What does this tell me about me? And I hope that you can be the kind of person that likes to be challenged by this or by many other writings and, uh, and elements of morality that are out there that can make us think about who we are and how we got to the place where we are. And I'm hoping that each of us, as we hear these kind of stories, and like I say, uh, the uh, the Eden story was has been depicted in so, so many grand pieces of art. Where it, the implication is we're still trying to figure out what that's all about. That uh, I'm hoping that uh, it prompts you to ask, well, what is my story? And what is my story specifically as it relates to those five primary elements, pride, fear, loneliness, inferiority and anger. Uh, how is my story being told? Where is it headed? And how can my understanding of this and recognizing that other people have a similar story that they're trying to come to terms with, how does this impact the way that I engage with the world in front of me? So I find things like this to be stimulating. It's like, okay, there's so many different ways to try to explain who we are and how we got here. And so I wanted to focus today on this since it's such a seminal story and it's such a, a well-known story to figure out how uh, we can learn from it and just be challenged by it. So as, as, as we uh, part ways with each other here today, I'm going to go to that question, what is your story? And what can we tell about how you are trying to engage with other individuals based on those five different elements? So I hope this gives you some good food for thought gives you something to ponder and something to watch for inside yourself and inside of other individuals. And, uh, and in doing so, I hope that it just makes you feel like you're someone who really is one of the ones who's trying to make sense of it all. 
Uh, the more we do this in a collective way and we encourage each other, then the more uh, you know, perhaps we can minimize, at least in our own little small sphere of influence, the impact of the narcissistic pattern. So stay with me. I'll see you next time, and I'll come up with some other things that are going to be helpful for you, I hope. And I, I hope to hear from you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Surviving Narcissism. We are glad to have you on Team Healthy.